Hello and welcome. I'm Rebecca, and this is my co-host. I'm Orlando. And we have created a podcast, and we want to, We created it to amplify artists' stories and give them a platform beyond the stage or their form of choice. Today's episode, we will have a special guest, Mia Ray Smith, who's an accomplished writer and performer from Detroit with Roots in Louisiana, but grew up in Queens, New York. Her performances feature her portraying multiple characters from different ages, genders, and cultures. She studied acting at William Esper Studio and has produced and performed at various colleges, campuses, and theater festivals. Mia has been recognized for her work with grants from Queens Council on the Arts, International Center for Women's Playwrights, and the Dramatic Guild Mental Health Grant. And is a recipient of the 2022 SNL Scholarship, so we'd like to congratulate you here. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you reading that. Thank you. No problem. So, to get into it, I recently watched her perform Resilience at the opening show for the Salt Lynn Festival in Syracuse, New York. She plays herself and 19 other characters, guiding the audience through her journey to life, finding a therapist to work through her anxiety disorder. Her work aims to bring awareness to mental health and break the stigma. So thank you for being on this podcast with us today, Mia. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Oh, really God. appreciate you guys having me. So my first question was actually, I wanted to ask you, what was it like growing up in New York City? Because I actually also grew up in New York City. So I wanted to know because okay. that's such a experience here. Awesome. Yeah, well, it was really fun. Um, I think I had more independence than most kids. Um, I took the subway and the bus everywhere. I had access to some of the best international cuisine and experiences. Um, I've been exposed to theater, dance, and art as a teenager. Um, And I was fortunate enough to have all these experiences without a smartphone. I know I'm telling my age now, but um, I had genuine friendships and connections in Queens, and it was was really fun and amazing. Love to hear that. As a non-New York City person, that sounds really fun to hear, honestly. Um, Thank you. What what high school had you went to? I went to the high school for arts and business in Corona Queens. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. What about you? What what part of New York are you from? I'm from Manhattan. Um, and I went to okay this new high school that was created like um not so many years. Like I was like one of the newer classes, but it was called NYC High School. It was in like the Chelsea Building. Oh, nice. Okay, I haven't heard about that. That's cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, it was in Soho, so I got like exposed to a lot uh-huh. of like art and museums and like fashion. Oh, nice. So it was really interesting. Like that was a good experience. Oh, that's really cool. I've always wanted to go to high school in the city, but mm-hmm. my mother wouldn't let me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awesome. Alrighty. So as you know, you're a playwriter. You're really into the theater and the arts. So I was wondering, what was your first experience with theater? So my first experience with theater. I was in high school, I was around 16 years old, and I auditioned for a mock musical theater, and I was in a Godspell production. Um, it was in the city, it was in Midtown Manhattan, and I made friends with kids from all of the five boroughs. Um, it was really an amazing experience, and that was like my first introduction into like acting, into singing, into dancing. Um, and I feel like ever since then, I've just been passionate about theater. Yeah, and... Um, how did you develop your craft? I know I saw you. You played multiple characters, never broke act. Like, how is the process of memorizing a script? How long does that take while you're playwright? Oh, man. I've been doing this. I've been performing solo pieces now for about eight years. This is my second solo play. Um, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very lengthy rehearsal process. 
Um, I think my approach is playing a diverse range of people. Also, it comes from my environment, just growing up in Queens, New York. It's one of the most diverse places in the world. Um, I also have this curiosity in humanity and diverse cultures from around the world. So I'm always open to like having conversations with strangers. My rehearsal process uh, for this particular show, in 2018, I received a grant from Queens Council on the Arts to write, perform, and produce this play. And I was able to hire a drama therapist to really help me um, just process my own experiences with doing this work. So that was really, really helpful. Um, but yeah, it, it is definitely it's a challenge. I like to say it is the Olympics of acting, doing a solo performance. Nice. Lots of hours. Nice. I would imagine, honestly. And I noticed in mm-hmm. your, you have numerous characters. Some you play family members, some friends. How have they responded to the impersonations portrayed in the play? Okay. Yeah, this is a really good question. Uh, my family, they love it. They're not surprised by it. I mean, I've been told since I was like three years old that I've been imitating family members uh, when I was younger. Um, and so I would, you know, do plays and things like that in the living room for my family when I was like, you know, a kid. And so now that I'm doing it, they're just like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're doing the thing that you used to do when you were little. Um, so they're always pretty excited about it. And, of course, they want to be in all of the plays. They're like, write me in this one. Put me in this one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're they're really supportive and they're excited and happy for me. That's really interesting because for me as an artist, I enjoy like mm-hmm. writing especially. But my medium right now mm-hmm. is music. Um, I like do hip hop, mm-hmm. but... I started doing poetry in high school, so that's kind of how I started exploring it. But I do have like a desire to kind of write um, New York City stories, particularly just because, like, you know, that's how I grew up. So we ha- like you relate because yeah. we have that shared experience, and it's so kind of yep. crazy and unique that I feel like there aren't that yeah. many authentic, um, just New York City stories, really. But I wanted yeah. to ask you. How does creating personal work lead to powerful art as an artist? And how do how do you how have you seen your audience just react to that? Good question. And I agree with you on the New York City story. There's not a lot. Um, I just think anytime that you're able to get to the other side of a challenge and you're willing to craft a story and share it with people, I think that is so powerful. Um, there's so many challenges that people experience that they never share with anyone um, on a public stage. And just, you know, going out there and telling a story, I feel like for myself, it has always been received with so much um, just respect and excitement just around being able to do that. Thank you. You're welcome. I know in the show you played, like we mentioned, you played a lot of characters. What was your favorite character to portray? Because I know one of my favorites was either Mr. Banks, the two for one fitness coach or or the the hotep revolutions on the rise man you met like just the funny characters who is your favorite character to portray oh man i'm so glad you mentioned that up it's it's honestly it's hard it's hard to pick which one is my favorite um i love them all um i'm trying to think if i had to say which one was my favorite to play um definitely the fitness instructor for this show. That was really, really fun to develop that particular character. But it's, it's so hard to pick which one because I really do enjoy them all. So nice. It's hard. <laughs> I agree. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Resilience is a powerful and personal show that touches on sensitive and often taboo topics. Can you talk about the challenges you face while creating and performing such a vulnerable piece of work? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, I think one of my biggest challenges is minimizing my own anxiety to bring this work forward. Um, I had to make space to care for my mental health. In the beginning of my rehearsal processes, I like to focus on, you know, characters and dialogue. And as the show gets closer, I have to shift my focus on my well-being. Um, and a lot of the tools that I use in therapy are beneficial to my artistic practice. I love but that. I, yeah, that's sort of the way. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being so candid and just like very vulnerable and open to sharing your experiences. It's very inspiring for others. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. I actually had a shared experience as well because I started yeah. going to therapy during college and I okay. um mm-hmm. experienced like different types of therapy from like group therapy to like solo sessions. Um and mm-hmm. um you explore just the challenge of having to like meet with like different therapists and my last semester of college I actually got to study abroad in London where I got to experience just like abroad like the just therapy in a different country so I just wanted to yeah. ask you um like how did you deal with therapists telling you things that you didn't want to hear um and how did you just like mm-hmm. navigate that I'll be honest, that's a really difficult thing to process. One of the ways that I navigate it is I like to journal. Um, that really helps me process my thoughts and my feelings and emotions. And it also just helps me solve like inner conflict or issues that I'm having with another person. So whenever I experience things like that in therapy, uh, journaling, that's like my first resource that I go to um, to just process the experience. But it, even doing that, to be honest, it, it's still very difficult. Um, they experience that in therapy. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You're for welcome. That. Can you tell me about a specific instance or something memorable where you felt like your work had a meaningful impact on someone? Yeah, I performed in Toronto. Uh, my first play, I Am Hope. I had eight shows at the Toronto French Festival, and I had an interview on the radio. And I remember after my show, one of the audience members that came up to me. And she said, I've been having severe panic attacks, but I came to your show because it was about anxiety and it was about panic attacks. And it has made me feel so much better. And I feel seen that you were able to tell this story because it feels like it's also my story. Um, And that I will never forget that. That was so meaningful to me because I've suffered from panic attacks. And so I know what it took for her to actually come out and to see the show. And I was just so grateful that she shared that with me so that was really meaningful and it still is oh that's very it's very rewarding very touching and i just think that's the beauty of what you do where you perform and you show us like things that many people often deal with but you put it in such a digestible way where people can like relate to it or even not relate to it can understand the experiences of people who do go through this and that's just another way to bring awareness and i really value what you do thank you oh thank you so much so I know you perform at you have performed and you still do at various theater festivals and college campuses. Can you talk about the importance of these platforms in showcasing your work and reaching new diverse audiences? Yeah, um, I've been so fortunate to do this for many years. Um, I think college campuses understand the value of my work because it often reflects the students' experiences that they're having. Um, and it also starts a conversation about mental health. And I think that that's something that a lot of colleges want to continue on campus. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's the importance around it, just being able to start the dialogue about it. Because I only have, like, one show, and so when the show is over, 
my hope is always that people are still talking about it and having conversations about it long after the show is over. So as an artist, um, like as you described, like you've had like a pretty long career now for the most part, like eight years, probably not like compared to other people, but in comparison to me. So mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, um, how, how has been the process of just creating your platform and being able to just like share your art and being able to just find like these opportunities to be able to share your art? Yeah, um, it's been a tough and challenging process. I mean, it still is. Um, I've been very fortunate to receive grants and funding and the support from theater festivals and college campuses that have an interest in my work. And I'm just so grateful for that. I would not have been able to do it without the support of grants and college campuses and theater festivals really taking an interest in my work. Um, I have applied for many things. I still receive a lot of rejection, um, but I think what keeps me going is just my own personal artistic mission and my intention on why I'm doing this work. So I'm just so grateful to just have my own personal why to get over all the rejection and you know challenges that I face as an artist. Thank you. Thank you. I love how you embody your title resilient in your personal daily life. It's very, very well. Um, mm. And talking about funding, you. you've received the 2022 SNL scholarship. Congratulations. Can you talk about the impact Thank of this you. award on your career and your ability, your ability to continue creating impactful art? Yeah. I mean, I can't really say the impact of this going to have on my career yet because it's still so early. Um, But I will say that this has been an amazing opportunity for me to learn more about comedic writing, to develop new characters, uh, to build new relationships within the industry. That's something that I'm really excited about. Um, And yeah, I'm just excited about it. I'm still in the process of it. Actually, I have a showcase coming up for my SNL scholarship. And so I'm in the process of preparing for that. Um, But yeah, when I first found out, I was so excited and I was just jumping up and down and just screaming and I'm still feeling that excitement um today so yeah I love that I love that and you mentioned comedic writing which I love a good comedy show I I know many other people do too that's why I love how you balance your work with that comedic relief I also talk about sensitive topics so in your your play Resilient or your show you use humor to address sensitive topics like mental health and healthcare disparities. How can humor be used as a tool to navigate and cope with difficult experiences? And what are the potential drawbacks to relying on humor in this way? So for me, laughter is a lifeline. Um, I've always used humor and play to get through life. Um, no matter what situation you're in, I always find something to laugh at. I think when we commit to finding laughter and not really balancing that out, that could be a little bit of drawback. Mm. Um, And so not everything is always funny. I think you just have to find the balance of when to put the humor in and when to take the humor out. And that's not always easy to do, um, but it's definitely possible. I I agree, definitely. I'm definitely one of those people who (laughs) laugh. Like awkward situations, I just laugh. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, and just not knowing, like, the difference between when you need to laugh or when you need to cry, you know? There's some people that use humor, and they're like, I'm just going to laugh this whole thing through, and it's like, well, you may need to release some other emotion. Um, And so just knowing the difference between that, you know, I think it's important. 
Definitely. Definitely important to also like make that known. It's good to have a balance. You don't want to have too much over the other where you're not actually addressing the feelings that you're feeling behind. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. So one of my favorite parts of the play that my favorite themes of the play that you that was relevant was how you challenged the idea of being strong and how you're kind of you kind of deconstructed it and so i felt that this is kind of like a new concept uh that our generation is deconstructing because in the play you talk about how the previous generation like their strength was through like resilience of just getting through things but not talking about it but in the play um and through like you know this podcast and also this conversation um being able to just discuss like this top these um difficult topics is strong so really deconstructing that and showcasing like a new way of um just seeing strength from how has been like that process for you and what does it like mean to you yeah that's a good question um i mean i honestly think there's been like an awakening uh, people are realizing that we can't continue to live in the way that our parents and our grandparents lived in survival mode. Uh, we're more present in our minds and our bodies, and we recognize that suffering is is sort of in strength a little bit. Um, and I think deconstructing the idea of being strong is really us saying that, hey, is there another way that I can show up and be seen? Um, and that's what I'm trying to do with my play. To let you know, people know, like, hey, there's another way that we can show up um, and be seen. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and to your point, Rolando, like, this is definitely a new generational idea, and I definitely think that this generation is making an impact. I remember what month during COVID time, my dad was even like, "Hey, if you ever need to go to therapy, you know, like, our insurance can cover that." And it just took me by surprise. I was like. Wait, really? That wow. you? I was like, what is going on? Because he's very into the news. He was seeing the statistics about how COVID is um, affecting high school students, affecting um, their um, energy. And just was like, wow, my dad pays attention. It's working. Like, And it just was very beautiful to see how old generations could be changing. It's not that he was against it ever. It just was like, I never heard it spoken of in our household. So that was a very like enlightening mm -hmm. moment for me. And I know that in your play, you mentioned being the first person in your family to go to therapy. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, being the first person in my family going to therapy, I had to really understand that the opportunity that I have to seek care was not available to my mom or to my grandmother. And just to give them more grace um, and understanding in, you know, why am I the first person that's seeking healing? Um, and I had to work through that in therapy. So it was it's a little difficult, but just giving that generation more grace and understanding that, you know, the resources and the opportunity for me to seek help are available now. Um, and that was, that was a really huge moment for me. Definitely, I agree. So, um, segueing into your mother and grandmother, I know in the play you also talked about the strong black woman trope or persona that is often found in various mm -hmm. forms of media and in real life. And this trope often portrays black women as resilient, unbreakable, but also reinforces harmful stereotypes that can lead to black women being expected to be strong and not show vulnerability, which can be detrimental to their mental health and well-being. And it often portrays black women as resilient, unbreakable. And how does this image of strength impact the ways in which black women are expected to navigate mental health challenges? I think just the idea of seeking help outside of ourselves can 
take a lot of time to admit, um, especially if we've been operating as a strong black woman in our various identities. Because historically, you know, we haven't been able to rely on seeking help outside of our families and church. Um, so I think some conversations that I'm having with a lot of black women, it's really just being able to admit that, you know, I need some additional support. I need some sort of help. I think that's, you know, one of the main sort of challenges. Definitely. But don't you think it can be hard, especially when you don't see that in communities around you? Like, what is that breaking point when you finally realize, okay, I need outside help? Mm, that's a, yeah, I completely agree that it could be difficult. And I think the breaking point is when you start to realize that whatever mental health symptoms you're having, when they start to interfere with your daily life and you feel that you can't, you know, focus at work or you're not able to do the things that once gave you fulfillment and enjoyment, I think that's when you really know that you need to seek some help outside of yourself. Definitely. So having a shared um, experience of like exploring like therapy um, over the course of like a couple of years. And for me personally, like one of my biggest challenges was learning how to give myself grace. Um, and especially mm-hmm. like being an artist and having that shared experience for me, like one of my biggest challenges is having anxiety as well, but also the anxiety of um, mm-hmm. just trying to like be better and do better and like create um, the most, you know, um, impactful and best work I can. And I wanted to know, like, what was your process for learning how to like give yourself grace um, and explore that? Yeah, I, you know, I've worked a lot in therapy, um, especially with doing this show and putting myself out there in this way. Um, I also, I struggle with perfectionism, I think, because as a black woman, it never feels safe to fail. Um, and I also struggle with wanting to make sure that everything is perfect and right. And in therapy, I've learned that that is not an attainable goal. You know, we're all human and nothing will ever be perfect. And so now I don't strive for perfection. I strive for vulnerability and just allowing myself to show up and be seen. Um, and so just shifting my mindset around perfectionism in therapy has really been powerful for me in my process, also in my artistic process as well. Thank you. Wow. And you're really relating to me. I'm really relating to you right now because I definitely, I have someone has told me, Rebecca, are you a perfectionist? And I never thought I was until mm. I had to like sit back and think, wait a minute, am I like... I just want the best work yeah. to be done. <laughs> like, sorry. But, like, so you're, you're yeah. like, helping me right now in the moment to, like, think back and reflect. Yeah, maybe I should work on um, that. Yeah, I didn't know. Like, I honestly, therapy really helped me, you know, come down to that, you know, realization. I had no idea. I was like, that's not me. You know, I'm not a perfectionist. But then, you know, in therapy, I was working through things. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I am a perfectionist. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was a hard realization. And. You know, like I said, as a black woman, it's not really safe to fail in a lot of the systems that we're in. And so it makes sense that we're sort of operating in perfectionism, not on purpose, but just almost as a way to sort of, you know, protect yourself. Yeah, definitely. So how do you how do you think we can work to dismantle this strong black woman narrative in the media, in our everyday lives? and create a more nuanced and authentic portrayal of Black women's experiences with mental health and resilience? 
I mean, I think the media has to reflect on how harmful and damaging the strong black woman narrative is and commit to pushing stories forward that humanize our lived experience. Um, And we also have to be willing to show up and be seen um, in the way that I'm doing with my solo play. I would love to see more artists um, do this work also, because I think it would be very helpful in pushing stories forward, our stories forward. I definitely agree. I agree. Now, to get into a little bit more... um my favorite topics, hair salons and barbershops, which can often be informal spaces of counseling in the black community. So how have hair salons and barbershops, how do these spaces serve as a form of therapy for individuals? Yeah, this is such a great question. And it's honestly one of my favorites because I grew up, uh, well, half my life, I grew up in a hair salon with my mom. And so I just have so many vivid memories of you know, that being a healing space for a lot of people in my community. Um, I think barbershops and hair salons are a safe community space that offers support for people who have similar life experiences. I mean, your hairstylist becomes your healer. Mm. And oftentimes, I think, you know, it's a place for Black women to really feel safe to open up about their experiences. And it's also probably the only time that they have in their schedule to really do this, um, to really have these conversations and talk about what's going on with them. And so it it just serves as a safe space to open up and and share what's going on um, with you. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I relate to that, especially being that I feel like New York City is is such a like vibrant and um, just, um, unique like community and especially because there's so many different yeah. like hair salons and barbershops in the city that you could get like you could go to so many but then you could also just get so many different vibes but um for me like hearing you say that I, relating to it I feel that and especially with the discussion of like mental health I feel like these community spaces allow us to really be present um because of like just the comfortability that they provide. And with me, um, I actually got the experience of like working on opening a barbershop for my campus in order to like create a community space. So with that, um, how do you think like, because as our generation continue moves, moving towards like more like social media and technology, how do you think like these community spaces are going to continue to be like important and how can we just continue to like prioritize them really? Yeah, honestly, that's a really good question. I'm not sure if I have the answer to that question, um, but I will say, I think maybe bringing it up the next time you go to the barbershop or you go to the hair salon, just bringing it up like, hey, maybe on Saturday nights we can meet here and have like dialogue about mental health. Um, I think that's just, like a starting point and just to see where it could go, possibly go from there. But I think it's a really good idea and I hope someone is able to bring this to life because I think it has a lot of benefits within our community because those are spaces where we definitely feel safe. And maybe a a therapist uh, could come into that space um, one day, but I think it's a really good idea. Yeah. To piggyback off what you said, Mia, um, I was going to ask, do you see a possibility for mental health professionals to collaborate with hairstylers and barbershops, barbers to create more accessible and supportive resources for the black community? 
I mean, yeah, I think that's a really, really great idea. And I think it's something that, um, you know, we should definitely look at within our community because the potential there, I think it could be really, really beneficial to our community just to, you know, bring those two worlds together and to see what can happen because, you know, a lot of us, we go to the hair salons, we go to the barbershops, we spend a lot of time there. And I'm just thinking back in the 90s, that's when my mom had a hair salon. I have no idea what, you know, the climate is, is like today. But just thinking back, that was definitely a place where people would go to get support. I remember a woman came into my mom's hair salon and she was getting chemo treatment because she had breast cancer. And I remember a group of women just surrounding her and just giving her words of affirmation. And it was such a powerful thing. And I still remember that. Um, so I definitely think that that could be a tool that we can really look at for our community. Wow, that is very powerful. Very, very powerful. And another thing, so as being a college camp, okay, being a college student on a college campus, you know, in a very high, fast-paced environment, high-stimulating environment, many Things can arise, family problems. So um, I know talking with friends, I hear them often say, often as an RA, I'm supposed to promote like the Barnes counseling. And I've often heard residents say, um, why would I want to go? They won't understand my problems or even close friends saying they just don't relate to a maybe recent graduate student who's trying to get credits or like a like luckily they've implemented where you can choose like customize your therapist. But Many people are already put off by the idea that you just don't get me. So what is the importance of having Black therapists for Black clients? I think for me, it has allowed me to be more open about my life experiences, um, my family dynamics, and racism. Um, having a Black therapist has given me the freedom to be authentically myself without the fear and worry that maybe they won't understand my experience or this, this makes sense. Um, so it has been a huge game changer for me having a black therapist. I feel like I can just, you know, I can show up and be myself and there is a lot of understanding culturally about my experiences. So it has definitely helped me a lot. I love that. And there's this like ongoing joke. I don't know if it's on the media, my friends, we do where <laughs> we joke about yeah. talking to like a white therapist about maybe your mom familiar problems and the therapist saying, oh, why don't you tell your mom how you feel? And we'll be looking at each other and laughing like, yeah, okay. So definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) So definitely I'm having, that's definitely been a hindrance to many people. I mean, even myself, like, don't even want to get into it. You won't understand, especially being from having Nigerian heritage, but like, you won't understand my cultural uh-huh. background. It's like, I don't even want to get into that. So mm-hmm. that's definitely a hindrance. Not have The intersection ideas, intersectional, intersection ideas of your therapist and yourself, because that could definitely make a person more open to sharing other things where they would otherwise would not. I completely agree. I mean, it even comes, you know, it comes down to like hairstyles. You know, if I switch my hairstyle, I feel like I don't have to worry about my therapist going, well, what did you do this time? Mm. Or what's that? There's just this level of, like, understanding um, that I deeply, deeply appreciate. Definitely. Um, I'm actually, like, personally, like, Dominican. But, you know, I, you touched upon it earlier about, like, how in New York City yeah. and especially Queens um, is so very, like, diverse so how has it been um, just, like, working with so many, like, different, like, artists and um, people? And how have you been able to, like, 
recall like or, or be able to like just because of like the the nature of like your art is like very expressive how like has talking to them and maybe just connecting on like shared experiences been um it's been absolutely incredible i mean you know i've been fortunate enough to just like i said grow up in queens and just be around so many different diverse people and just you know listen to their stories and their heritage and try their food and you know, those experiences really help the art that I'm creating now. So it has been absolutely amazing. Thank you. Mm, and in your resilience show, we definitely, we saw your journey of um, from childhood up to adult life of how you went about finding that therapist, went about finding healing, but we didn't get to see the post-therapy life. So I wanted to ask you a few questions that now that you have found a therapist and then you're seeing actual changes in your life, how has therapy impacted your life in your approach to mental health? You know, I've been in therapy on and off since I was about 18 years old. So it's been, you know, over a decade. And I would not be the woman that I am if it wasn't for therapy. Um, and so I owe so much of who I am to therapists that I have seen and met with throughout, you know, these last 10 years. It has definitely just allowed me to minimize my anxiety, but also um, deal with the challenges of life and have a safe space where I feel supported and my feelings and my emotions can be validated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been huge for me. So I'm just so grateful for therapy and just everything that it has been able to do for my life. It has definitely changed my life for the better. Thank you. And um, oftentimes, I know there's this like um, perception that you, to go to therapy, you have to have something crazy going on in your life. You have to be clinically diagnosed with something or so you lost a family member. Mm-hmm. What about the people who are just like with daily things they deal with? And it's just like maybe they have some acute anxiety they don't know or it's just like time management. How do you address people who how do you think therapy can use in different avenues of a person's life? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that you can go to therapy even if you're having, you know, an issue with stress. It may not be a mental health diagnosis. You may just be dealing with like a stressful life event or you could be, you know, dealing with grief. Um, there are therapists that work on many different life issues. Um, so I hope that doesn't discourage people from going and thinking that you have to have this um, mental health diagnosis in order to be seen. If you're dealing with a challenging problem, a therapist can help you um, with that as well. So don't be, you know, nervous or afraid um, to go in for a life event because it can help you process and get through it. You don't have to do it alone. Okay. How do you overcome those, um, the first meeting, the awkward first meeting of this introduction? Many people just, maybe, maybe that's hesitant, maybe makes people hesitant. How do you overcome that? see the first meeting yeah the first meeting is always a little tough because you're like okay I'm getting ready to you know go in here I have to introduce myself I just think giving yourself grace and being yourself making sure that you have a few questions prepared um you know for the therapist and coming up with some of your own goals and you know what it is that you want to solve or accomplish while you're in therapy I think that can definitely help because it sort of feels like everything is going to you but you know, come in there with questions and, and be confident about what it is that you're looking for in a therapist. And I think that, you know, can be very helpful for the first meeting. Nice. Thank you. You know, um, mm. I related to what you're saying a lot and especially like 
I felt I took away a lot from like when you said um if you're processing a lot right now like being able to just have someone to like go through it with um that that could really help mm-hmm. you and you know I'm personally because I recently graduated um and so I'm going through so many like life changes right now and I also like deal with anxiety like one of my biggest challenges is like biting my nails um and that that's how I know like mm-hmm. that's like the physical or like visual representation for me to know that like oh yeah like I'm starting to really get anxious right now but um and I was actually able to start going to therapy and to explore that because just in college you know having that like resource like being at, at SU um and having that resource um because like in New York City a lot of like public schools like don't have like that like free resource but um how was it like in your adult life you know exploring um just like therapy options um it's been pretty good i mean it's still challenging like right now in my therapeutic journey i'm actually switching from talk therapy and i'm going into more of body based therapy um and so i'm going to be doing more movement and trying to get some of you know past trauma experiences out of my body because a lot of my anxiety symptoms are physical mm. and I was just noticing, you know, on my talk therapy journey that I would feel good after I went, but I was still dealing with a lot of the physical symptoms of anxiety. And that's something that I still struggle with. And so um, I'm going to be starting a new form of therapy, body-based therapy um, and like somatic, you know, shaking and just moving trauma out of my body and re-regulating my nervous system. Wow. Yeah, that's so interesting because um, just, you know, hearing and learning about all these different forms of therapy, because at the end of the day, like, it's just all different because it's a process of healing. So everyone's process of healing is going to be different. So thank you for sharing that because it's so interesting to hear about all this, all, like I said, all these different ways to just heal yourself. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm so grateful that we're in the age of information. And so I've just been able to research and figure out, you know, what forms of therapy are good for me based on some of the experiences that I'm having. And so that's one thing about being an adult in therapy is that you can just make, you know, these decisions based off, you know, what you're going through and really getting clear about what it is you need in therapy. Um, I think that's really important when you're starting your therapeutic journey, just getting clear about what it is that you want out of the experience and being honest if you're not getting what you want out of the experience with a therapist and you know letting them know i like that it's like a trial and error type of thing you go by you figure out what works for you yeah. and i never even knew body therapy was a thing to like do that that's really cool to hear wow and um yeah it is i'm not forward to it and i know a lot of people like with the stigma of the the therapist, the most freaking common talking to someone. Many people are just so pulled off by this. I don't want to talk to a shrink. But it's like many people do therapy, like informal therapy in many areas of their life, but they don't know it. So what do you think makes people just so put off by the formal version of a person talking to a professional? Hmm. I mean, I think that in the beginning when I first, you know, wanted to go to therapy, I was really nervous about the idea of just opening up to a stranger about some of the issues that I'm facing. That was really challenging for me in the beginning because I'm like, I mean, does this make sense? Should I, you know, go to someone in my family? Um, Should I just speak to a friend? I think the idea around just 
sitting down and talking to someone that doesn't really know you, uh, it does feel a little bit, you know, awkward and scary um, in a way. And so I understand that. But I think having a consultation with them, meeting with them first, you know, allowing the therapist to explain their process, um, and then you also just explaining what it is that you need, I think that can really you know, help take away some of the anxiety and the worry that goes along with actually just, you know, saying I'm going to go talk to a stranger and tell them all of my business. Mm. Um, just setting up a consultation and really figuring out their practices and, and how that could be beneficial to your life. I think that would help get rid of some of that anxiety around being nervous about seeing someone. How does a person navigate the early feelings of judgment? Like, will this person judge me if I reveal this about myself? How does the person navigate that? In therapy, how do you navigate that? Yes. Or just with yourself? With therapy. Therapy. I mean, I definitely feel, you know, making sure that you choose a therapist based on their background and based on whatever forms of therapy that they're working on um, that you feel comfortable in. I mean, and that's going back to your question about having a Black therapist. I think, you know, that really helps me not worry about the judgment because I already know that this person is going to understand my experiences. So I think it's important to make sure that you, you know, choose a therapist that you know, you know, has a level of understanding about your experiences in the world. And that will, you know, help you not feel so fearful about judgment. And also, you know, most of the time as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that most of the time people are not really thinking about us. They're thinking about themselves. <laughs> So we often think that people are like, oh, my God, this person is thinking about me or what I'm doing. And most of the time, people are just really focused on themselves. And how have you felt that, like, therapy has helped you just evolve their artistic process? And how does how does it continue to do so as well? Yeah, I've learned a lot in therapy. I've been able to process um, a lot of experiences. I'm able to really... Be more mindful and self-aware of what's going on in my body. I'm able to manage my anxiety symptoms um, well enough to be able to perform. I still have anxiety, and I get a lot of anxiety before I perform, but the tools that I've learned in therapy has definitely helped me minimize it so that, you know, I'm still able to get up there and do whatever it is that I'm supposed to do. And some of my tools are um, journaling. I do sound baths. Um, meditation, um, affirmations. So that has all been, you know, really, really helpful in terms of, you know, our artistic practice as well. Alrighty. As we are nearing the end of our time, um, as you are a performer, a writer, what advice would you give to aspiring solo performers and writers who are looking to create impactful work while also making a difference through their art? I would say start with what you have, um, where you are. Your story is enough. You are enough. Um, the world needs to hear your story. So start with what you have, um, and the rest will just blossom because that's exactly what happened for me. That's so amazing to hear because for me, um, I actually just recently finished my first album, I'm working on it here in in school, and it's called College Graduate, and really it's it's uh, just reflected on just like the journey of like graduating. And I feel like for hip hop specifically, like um, it's not really like talked about like that. There's not really that many rappers that like like graduate 
um, college. So, and that's my experience, you know, being like a first gen like student from another country um, that was born in another country, but I was raised in the city. Um, and so that means a lot to hear, like that specifically for me. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, thank you so much. I really, I stand by that and I mean it. I mean, I started many, many years ago and I had no idea how to create a one-person show. I just had the desire to do it and I've gotten so far. So congratulations on your album and I wish you so much success. Thank you so much. That means the world to you. Welcome. Yeah, congratulations, Rolando. Thank you. Very happy for you. So, Mia, what are you doing now? What's the next project? Steps for? What can we look out for? Um, so, I have a showcase for my SNL scholarship program in June. Um, I'll probably have some more performances in the fall. Please check my website um, for all updates. But, yeah, that's what I have going on right now. Nice. Congratulations on that again. We're very excited. Can't wait to look for that Thank in the future. You. And thank you so much thank for your you. time with us, Mia. Um, we really appreciate you just sitting down, getting to talk with us, being vulnerable, sharing your story. And we, I really appreciate the work that you do. Congrats. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you thank as you well. So thank you for sh- just sharing so much wisdom, like as an artist, you know, personally. Thank you for your time. Um, and if you have like any last like closing remarks that you want to share or any any like handles or stuff that you want to like shout out or anything like please you know take in the time like to do so is you know your platform. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to interview me and to come to my show. So I'm so grateful for you guys and wish you so much success um, in the future. And yeah, my website is uh, www.miaraysmith.com. It's Mia M I A. Ray, R-A-Y-E, Smith, S-M-I-T-H dot com. And you can check for updates on everything that I'm doing with my solo career. And I'm just so grateful to be here and share any of my wisdom and experiences with you guys. It has been an absolute pleasure. So thank you for having me. Definitely. Thank Thank you you so much. much.